I find beauty and a challenge in every single product, from the smallest to the largest. So I feel very privileged to be in this position, and uh, and I hope I retain that openness for a while. This is Unplugged, a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond, hosted by H H. Buongiorno, welcome to another episode of H H Unplugged. We have the great pleasure to be here today in connection to London with Michael Anastasiades. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to this. Michael, how is the situation in London now? Are you still in a lockdown or the city is open? Well, uh, we've, we've been in a lockdown for about uh, five weeks. It's actually the sixth week uh, now uh, since the government advised us really to um, isolate uh, at home uh, and if we can uh, operate uh, remotely away from work then you know this is what we had to do um, in my case being a design studio um, we thought is wiser if we all retreat uh, I have a team uh, working with me I also have a brand which I manage that side of the business is still happening um, in a way, because we also have a warehouse facility outside of London, in uh, Birmingham actually, uh, where we um, assemble and we have all the logistics uh, of the company. But the studio pretty much operates remotely at the moment and we, we are on video calls constantly and then trying to function in that way. It's, it's difficult, I have to say. It's challenging for sure. How does your typical day in quarantine look like? Because I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's a different one compared to regular days, compared to the normal days that we used to know, even the pace, the pace of a working day. I decided to establish some form of routine uh, with my day because I thought that this would be the wisest uh, way in trying to establish um, a rhythm uh, and also to try uh, to find motivation uh, to work by myself. I'm, I'm very familiar with this because when I started a long, long time ago, I never really worked for any uh, company or any other designer. After graduation, I set up my studio at home and, um, and it's interesting because that was that period that I discovered yoga. And um, I became a huge fan uh, of the practice. I ended up uh, uh, taking it on for many, many years. Eventually, I started teaching it. Uh, but I realized at that moment that yoga was something that um, gave me uh, discipline and gave me some sort of regularity and also enabled me to deal with uh, complicated situations. So uh, when this came in, and uh, it was a little bit of a reminder of those years, and um, I decided at that moment that it was a good time to reconnect with my yoga practice. I, unfortunately, I had stopped for a long period of time because of an injury that I had. So I took a break of almost 10 years. Um, uh, sometimes I used to practice, but it was very, um, very rarely that I would do it. Um, and also the fact that I've been 
uh, really busy traveling and busy with work and with a lot of other commitments. So I decided from the first day of the lockdown to start my day with uh, my yoga practice. And I started, you know, right from the beginning and I've been very uh, consistent on that. Um, and this is probably the, the sixth uh, week that I'm practicing daily. So I'm, I'm really very happy. It's probably the highlight of, uh, of my day. And then from then on, I, um, I start uh, uh, taking care of uh, all the other things that I have to do. Are you imposing uh, yoga sessions to your team as well, or do you have uh, other tools to keep them motivated? <laughs> no, no, my team is free to do whatever they want. I mean, uh, that time that I, um, that I was actually teaching um, is, uh, is, is, is gone. It's finished about 10 years ago. But I used to um, run uh, regular classes, uh, even here from, uh, from uh, home, where I used to have my studio. Um, and it was interesting because twice a week I used to convert the studio into a yoga studio. And I uh, used to have eight students that used to come very regularly um, and practice. I used to teach them and um, unfortunately I had to stop because uh, my studio grew uh, after we set up the brand in 2007. And so it was very complicated to uh, carry on in the same uh, momentum uh, uh, for both things. Michael, do you think that in a way or another we have arrived uh, prepared to face this challenge, this emergency? And I'm not just talking about the practical way, but also from a psychological, a cultural point of view. I don't think that um, at least uh, many people would have exec uh, expected this uh, to be um, on the level that we are experiencing it uh, in reality. Nobody would have believed that the scale um, of how our lives would be affected. I think uh, some people, uh, having lived through difficult times, probably were a little bit more prepared because, you know, it's, it's something that... Um, is familiar with them. I mean, if they, if they happen to live through war, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the, the Second World War, which is only one generation that perhaps is still around that can talk about it, but, you know, all sorts of other problems and issues. I mean, I, I grew up in Cyprus and as a child, you know, at the age of, uh, uh, of seven years old, I, you know, we had the Turkish invasion and, uh, and I was there and, and it wasn't so much about how long this thing lasted, it was about the recovery. And it's interesting to talk about recovery uh, of, that, uh, uh, of that form and recovery from war, uh, recovery from displacement. And, and of course you can't compare one with the other, they are different things. But at the same time, I'm talking about the experience of dealing with a difficult situation uh, the experience of dealing with lockdown, the experience of actually uh, being human and being human towards other human beings. I think this is the most important uh, quality that, that people are experiencing and learning.
With these regards, we touched pretty much the same point uh, with uh, Alexander Lamont during the interview with him. Um, and he came up with an interesting point of view. War times, uh, they had this peculiarity of pulling together people, facing a challenge by pulling themselves together. What we are suffering now, what we are experiencing now, is separating us, is keeping us separated. And I think this is the biggest difficulty that we are going through these days. Absolutely. I think the absence of, uh, of human contact is, uh, is what is actually uh, showing um, us uh, very evidently onto everybody, um, uh, for my, especially for people that, uh, uh, you know, are locked up and, and some people are unfortunately alone and they uh, don't uh, interact with people or they might be in a vulnerable category. Uh, so it's very difficult to even step out of their door to, uh, to go for a walk, to encounter another human being. So, you know, these are the things that are, I, I, are the effects, I think, that we're starting to see on people. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because I bumped into um, uh, people I know on the street completely accidentally. And it's... It's interesting, even that uh, physical encounter is very weird because you can't embrace, you can't uh, shake hands, you can't kiss, um, you, you, you can't do any of those things that you knew and, and, and that establishes this barrier. And then from the moment when you decide that you're parting and that you are leaving to go where you came from or back to your house in, in most cases, uh, that's also... Um, a, um, you know, it, it's, it's quite an interesting moment because, you know, you realize at that moment that things are not the same. And, you know, you're, you're parting from this encounter, you know, in, in different terms. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's quite uh, weird, you know, I, I would have to say. And it's not a very nice feeling, uh, let's put it that way. Design, product design and everything form of design is also a form of art and history told us that uh, art often has reached the pinnacle throughout difficulties taking inspirations from hard moments do you think that we are living this time that might be a laboratory for product design to bring it to the next level to the next step i think any moment of uh, of pause or any moment uh, where you are forced to reevaluate, um, you know, what you're doing. Um, it's mainly uh, a break uh, where that forces you to reflect. I mean, it depends, I think, entirely on the individual. Because if you are a person that actually questions things regularly, uh, I don't think this is different as such. But obviously, as I said, every person has his own way of dealing uh, with things and questioning things. So some people do it regularly, and this is part of their uh, regular practice when you talk about work practice. Uh, but for some people, uh, you know, you need to physically grab them and stop them and tell them, you know, this is the moment where you have to reassess because what you've been doing all these years is not valid anymore or um, 
you know, you need to change. And this is the moment when all these people, and it's interesting because I've been listening to quite a lot of podcasts, to quite a lot of uh, conversations, online conversations, and, and, um, and, and you hear these people, um, you know, trying to be, um, you know, you know, philosophers and, and trying to kind of uh, talk about, you know, the moment of change. And, you know, it, it's these moments when we actually realize that we need to do this on a regular basis, that whether we are in a situation which forces us or not, I think questioning is absolutely essential all the time. I mean, we have to reflect, we have to be thoughtful as to what we do. And us, as creative people, we have to constantly question uh, what we are doing, because I think we are directly responsible um, over the world that we are dealing with. I can speak for myself, I cannot speak for others, but um, I have more time, let's say, available to, to think about these things, but I do think about these things on a regular basis uh, during uh, my normal practice in a normal situation. And, and I do find those moments where I pause and I go back and I take a break, I reassess, I reevaluate, and then move on thoughtfully to the next uh, stage of my practice. Uh, Michael, do you think that a designer has a position with a company to influence the social behavior of a company? to influence their production so much that that specific company might become a trendsetter for a different ethic of doing things and producing? I, the designer alone, I am not too sure how much power they have. You know, of course they do influence. Um, of course they, um, you know, the, this is the moment where they, uh, what they're about to create is going to affect, you know, let's say the future. You know, you're physically as a designer, you are defined to create, you know, objects. Um, and from the moment you actually uh, come up with a, a, the physicality of the product and you release it out into the market, into the wild, in, you know, the, the object itself starts having its own life. And this is interesting because uh, from that moment you release it, you let it be, and then it will become what it needs to become, uh, whether it becomes popular or unpopular, but the pure, the mere physicality of it is the fact that it actually exists. It's affecting the way we live, whether we like the object or we don't like the object. Um, but if we are to actively um, uh, talk about, uh, you know, influence and, and, and making a change, apart from our own thoughtfulness as designers, I think is a collective effort that needs to happen. You know, it's a joint thing with manufacturers, with visionaries, with everything, the economy itself, um, and, and addressing all these kind of uh, issues, whether they're ethical issues that, that, that we need to look at. Um, when it comes to a company independently, I think that's also very different because it's a matter of being able to reinvent yourself for survival. So um, the, 
let's say, the, the survival aspect of it. Because if, if, let's say, economically, the company cannot be justified, uh, therefore it stops existing. So, you know, you have to look at yourself and reinvent yourself in order to survive. I think for a designer's point of view, you know, you're talking about creativity. And no matter what your resources are, no matter what, where you are actually placed, that creativity is something that nobody can take away from you. So no situation can take away from you that, that creativity. I mean, you know, you can lock somebody up in the cave and somebody creative and they create cave paintings and, and, and with things that they find. Or if it's a product designer, they, they might make something. They might start scouting something or they might even make something useful about it. So it's, it's a different thing. But whether we hold responsibility, I think collectively we can uh, hold uh, responsibility. And, uh, but it needs to come from all sides. It cannot be just single individuals. We know that at the beginning of uh, your career, just after your graduation, you have worked a lot investigating the relationship between human beings, the space, uh, the nature, Nature is not specifically the subject of this emergency, but for sure is a topic. It's a relevant topic these days. Do you think that as much as the relationships between human beings uh, have been affected by or influenced by this situation that we are living, um, also the, our relationship with the nature, will it be? It's interesting because you mentioned those early projects and especially the projects that uh, you're referring to are the ones that uh, happened right after my graduation, uh, the first years, uh, some very interesting collaborative works that I produced with uh, Dan and Raby, uh, these uh, very uh, good, uh, great colleagues of mine uh, that teach at the moment in, uh, in New York, uh, in Parsons. I'm, and it's interesting because you mentioned the first project which deals with nature called Weeds, Aliens and Other Stories. And, and, and I think what all these projects talk about, and especially the ones that follow, are more about obsessions and, 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 and human uh, insecurities, uh, obsessions, uh, discomforts, and, and how uh, we deal uh, with those issues and, and nature becomes an excuse for it mm. becomes let's say a package to look at all these insecurities uh, it's a context which presents humor because through humor is the only way that we can actually communicate these ideas otherwise they become too dark and difficult to deal with so that project, the, um, you know, the, the weeds, aliens and other stories that looks at, you know, how we talk to plants, how we interact with them, uh, how we look after them, uh, how they become props in, in our daily, um, uh, you know, living, how, uh, you know, we are obsessed about performance, we are obsessed about their own performance, but at the end of the day, we're looking at our own performance through their performance and so all these complexities i think they're interesting because uh to deal with a project on that level 
that is so multi-layered. Uh, there's so many different levels that anybody can relate to it from the very simple person that looks at it visually or looks at it with a sense of humor and laughs at it to the person that actually goes into much more depth and look at, looks at another layer and then maybe the third person is able to dig out a, a deeper layer into that field. So this is where I am trying to kind of arrive that, that you know, this has become, let's say, um, um, a, a rule under which I design and I operate. I mean, you have to create these layers of, of, um, of depth in your project because that's the only way you can actually uh, make the object or the project timeless and timeless in the sense that it becomes contemporary at all times. It's contemporary. I mean, if you look at the other project that was, you know, going back through, uh, through some old work on the design and fragile personalities in anxious times project that you're also uh, mentioning at some point, but um, there is even another one right after Design for Fragile Personalities, which is called uh, Do You Want to Replace the Existing Normal? And there was one particular object, um, which again, we define them as objects for therapy. You know, objects that help you get over your anxieties, your uh, fears, your phobias. So was this object that was a wall piece uh, on the wall that uh, was called statistical clock. And all it was doing, it was connected to the internet and it was scanning live news data. And it had different channels that you could tune it in. And the channels had to do with things and, uh, uh, that, uh, or I would say, uh, causes of death. You know, like for example, somebody that has a phobia on planes falling, airplanes or flying, and they're scared that they don't want to fly, they have a phobia or whatever, they tune in to the channel which is called plane crashes. So this piece, if let's say a plane crashes and 300 people die, um, and you are tuned into that channel and you happen to be in your living room at that particular moment, this clock starts counting uh, the number of dead people. You know, from if it's 300 people that died, it starts counting from one to 300. And you know, at this very moment, this is what has happened. Yeah. And it's interesting because what we wanted to demonstrate through that product was more the idea that the probability that it will happen and you will be in your living room and you will be able to experience it is very unlikely, it's very low. So, you know, it was something that would help you get over that anxiety that you carry and will help you maybe perhaps be more open to flying again. And I was thinking of it and, and I said, well, you know, now what we do is we go onto uh, apps and, and we look at how many people died in Italy, how many people died in UK, how many people died in London. And, and how we're actually getting through this crisis that, that we are in, uh, with the hope that our lives are going to be better one day and those deaths are going to be lower. But we're talking about obsessions again. You know, we're talking about 
insecurities, phobias about our own death, our own well-being, all these issues. So this project was um, almost 20 years old, I would say. And it's interesting because every, every now and then it becomes relevant. I mean, yeah. I'm talking about the design for fragile personalities object is this atomic explosion in the shape of a, of a cuddly toy. It's a soft yeah. mushroom. Yeah. And it's modeled around this uh, atomic explosion that happened in, uh, in Nevada. It was an experimental one and, and is immediately recognizable. And when you look at the object, then the idea is that if you're scared of nuclear war, you would hug the mushroom and it make you feel a little bit more comfortable with that idea. So, um, so it's, it, it's, it's interesting how relevant, but, but these objects have depth and the depth because they are abstract objects, they're not functional objects, they're not lights, they're not chairs, they're not furniture, they're, they are, they immediately communicate what they need to communicate. Uh, but in my practice, I want that depth to exist all, also on normal products. And, and I try to engage with my audience even uh, on that level. You know, the idea that an object becomes something you live with and you have a relationship with. Michael, out of uh, personal curiosity, is there anything uh, that you changed your mind about uh, due to the current situation? Any beliefs, any point of view on life, on design? I think these, these times for me, more than anything, I realized um, how important the human connection is, really. I mean, the fact that you know you feel you're connected because you can click a button and you can uh, you know, zoom a person, uh, you can talk to them immediately, you see them, them and then you, you think you don't actually need to meet uh, physically. You know, I know that people have invited me for dinners uh, these days where, you know, um, uh, we set a time and, you know, we sit at the table at the same time and then we do like this shared uh, kind of video call, they eat their food, I eat my food, but you know, I, I find it hard to adapt on this thing. I mean, I, I really miss physical contact. I really miss people and, 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 and I'm realizing more and more how important it is to meet people. And that, you know, although technology and the world we live in encourages us to go in the direction that we are going now, you know, because a lot of people think, okay, what's the point of traveling for work if now we have Zoom? Because, you know, we used to it so much, uh, they can send me the product, the company that I work with can send me the product, I can open it up in my own studio, I can look at it, I can talk to them live, and I can tell them my comments, and here you go, we are done with the trip, I'm not physically there. That is definitely not the same. I mean, this thing existed also before. It's not new, but for many people, it's yeah. a new experience. For yeah. me, it's a new experience because I never really was a person that talked on, on video calls. And here I am and, you know, I'm talking uh, to a lot of people via video calls. And another thing that I'm also realizing is 
uh, how much I miss uh, making uh, things um, and the physicality of uh, of materials, objects. You know, I I love to uh, to have that experience in my process, and I'm, I I am at home, and unfortunately, I'm limited to the setup of my house, so. Uh, my house cannot really be a workshop, so <laughs> I can't all of a sudden turn it into a workshop because, you know, it is set up in a certain way to be a home, so I don't want to start modifying it, but I sometimes escape, I go to the studio, I am alone, uh, I go there because I want to water the plants, you know, and, and I, I want to make sure that they, they are also uh, being uh, taken care of. Uh, but I find it an opportunity by seeing materials and seeing things. I, I'm realizing how much I miss this. Uh, and, 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 and this is the change that uh, will um, help me maybe shift uh, into more uh, physicality rather than less physicality uh, in my life. I, I would actually want it more after this yeah. than less. I think that this moment is making all of us more emotional, more sympathetic with the rest of the world. And a lot of people, they are reconsidering their beliefs and uh, their strength, even. Maybe people that they consider themselves uh, very self-efficient, not much in need of being surrounded by anyone else because able to do whatever they needed to do and wanted to do by themselves. For sure. And, and... You know, this vulnerability, I think, that you're talking about and you're referring to as emotional, you know, in, in, in the way that we engage and we relate to things. I mean, it's very difficult when, when you actually experience death, even from a distance, even if it's your, not your own death, if it's not your own people that are dying, but somebody else's story or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to remain unaffected. And I cannot, I have some friends that I have been in touch because this is the moment where, you know, you reach out to friends and loved ones and say, hey, how have you been? You know, are you okay? Is everything okay? And, and a lot of them say, actually, you know what? I'm having a blast. This is the best time of my life. It's amazing. I go cycling, I exercise, I wake up late, I listen to music, I dance, I do this, I do that. I don't believe it for a single moment because this is a reaction, obviously. It's their reaction. I mean, it's not true. I mean, if if you were to ask me how I am, yes, thank God I'm physically okay. You know, I don't have any health issues and this would have been the worst thing that could happen to me. But it's not fun. I'm not enjoying myself, for sure. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not having a blast. I'll be lying if I tell you I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying myself or I'm good or I rediscovered myself or I rediscovered the world and the meaning of life and all these things. I think... I think it would be sad if this was the moment that would make me rediscover the meaning of life. I should have done it a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope I have, you know, like sort of uh, questioned these things before, you know, COVID-19 arrived in our lives. Are you investigating these days uh, the opportunity to move into a different design field, to design uh, for companies that you have never taken in consideration in terms of really a subject, a product, uh, 
new products, different products. I want to go back uh, to the time where I used to do more experimental work. Uh, because I'm realizing that the more I get invited by companies to uh, to design objects for them, uh, and and it's been a lot of them that have been in touch with me recently and also before this, uh, and I find it very flattering. You know, it's like somebody calling you up and say, "I love what you do. I want you to do something for us." And and it's a moment that I can't refuse because. I arrived to this point of luxury because I really call it luxury very late in my career. You know, I didn't come out of college and then straight away companies jumped on me and asked me do this thing. I I took my career very slowly. I mean, I spent a lot of years doing research for what I thought design should be. Then after that, I reached a point where um, uh, I started questioning my role uh, uh, in uh, industrial production and, and how I needed to contribute towards that because what defined me as an industrial designer was industrial production. So I said I wanted to kind of engage with that point. I wanted to make objects in multiples on a larger scale that, uh, that, that people could live with and, and not be one-off ideas that question things or become critical objects only. So, and that was really the start of my brand in 2007 because I didn't have invitations back then to work with companies because nobody could see the relationship between the early work and what the real product is because for them, the work that I was doing before was not real. <laughs> but for as much as I would say, yes, it's real, they wouldn't believe me. And I don't blame them because people's limitation in their mind about can this designer also design a chair or design a light or whatever. So that was a moment where I said, okay, nobody wants to work with me. I'm not famous because that's the reality. That's the harsh reality of being a designer. They're not working with you. Companies don't want to work with you unless you're somebody. Uh, we have to face it. It's true. It is. Uh, it's uh, there's an element of truth in that. I mean, maybe it's not a hundred percent, but a lot of that is true. Yeah. And um, and then after that, I said, okay, I need to prove myself through this. So I set up my brand and I said, I'm going to design, produce, and sell my objects. And I did that exercise. It was an exercise. I said, if it works, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. At least I did it. And, uh, and then soon enough, four years down the line, uh, Floss reached out uh, to this strange meeting that I had with them and they said, you know, we love what you do, let's work together. And they said, we, we started on this kind of uh, long uh, and great uh, relationship of uh, developing objects. Then some furniture companies reached out, like Herman Miller was the first one. And then one after the other, uh, it all brought me to the place where I am now. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting that that's why I am so flattered and I want to do as much as I possibly can. But I see every project a new challenge. So I am not one of those designers that they dream about the next bigger thing that they want to do. You know, you give them 
uh, let's say, to design a glass, and they tell you, yes, but now I want to do a table. And then after the table, they say, I want to do a house. And after the house, they say, I want to do an airplane. And after the airplane, they say, I want to do a spaceship. But no, I find beauty and a challenge in every single product, from the smallest to the largest. So I feel very privileged to be in this position. And, uh, and I hope I retain that openness for a while. Um, but, you know, the experimental work, I want to find consciously more time for it because it keeps my mind um, busy and it's not commercial stuff. It's more ideas that somehow I want to materialize and I want to give them some physicality and not to keep them just simply as sketches in my sketchbook. Yeah. They might even become then uh, uh, commercial products. It yeah. doesn't, yeah, it is, it, it, they, they could, they could, and, and some of them have in the past, but yeah. it's, it's nice that they exist. I think it's important. I, I always struggled with that idea. I mean, what defines me as a product designer um, is not just ideas, it's actually the physicality of the object. It's completely different things. You can talk about ideas and maybe you can visualize ideas and you know, all these computer software can help you uh, make those ideas very realistic. You know, you can experience them through virtual reality or whatever, but it's not the same. You know, the physicality of an object is very different experience. And that's why I feel it's important and it's my duty as a product designer to physically make objects and not to keep them as sketches, as renders, uh, virtual reality experiences or anything like this. It's your duty. It's your duty. Yeah. Uh, we always like to close our conversations with uh, uh, one personal question. What will be the first thing that you will do once this uh, situation is over and once the world will be back to normal? I love water. So, you know, I want to go and look for uh, water and just dive in water. I mean, I, I don't know how uh, I love the sea, which is the, uh, my biggest passion and I love swimming in the sea, but I don't know how difficult that would be uh, where I am in accessing this. So I might be just simply end up in a swimming pool <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and dream that I am uh, somewhere uh, in the Mediterranean, perhaps. But, you know, this is something that I really miss. So I wish you it can happen very soon, at least the swimming pool. <laughs> there, there is a swimming pool near my uh, studio, which is great because I actually selected my studio because there because was a swimming pool very nearby. It was only five minutes walk from the studio. So I, um, I in my daily routine, I was, would escape for one hour during the day and go and swim. So, you know, this is not a dream, uh, but hopefully it will become, uh, again, part of my regular uh, routine. Michael, thank you very much for being with us. As you said before, you were not used to this kind of things, this kind of interviews. So thank you very much for putting yourself available to us for that and for the time that you dedicated to us. That was a very interesting one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So
Have a nice evening, Michael. Thank you very much again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.